السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين بإذن الله today we will be going over a story in the 12th juz the 12th juz has a lot of different stories Allah جل وعلا he mentions the stories of the Anbiya the story we want to touch on today بإذن الله is the story when we look at the story we find an amazing story Allah جل وعلا calls it the best of stories in the Quran. نحن نقص عليك أحسن القصص بما أوحينا إليك هذا القرآن. السلام عليكم. وعليكم السلام ورحمة الله وبركاته. How are you, Sheikh? الحمد لله. All well. How are you? الحمد لله. How's everything going in Ramadan? الحمد لله. All well. Trying to do a few things. Inshallah, we ask Allah to make us from those who make the most of this month of Ramadan. And how about you? How's your Ramadan going? Alhamdulillah, it's well. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. I was saying that in the 12th Jews, we find Allah Jalla wa'ala mentions many different stories. He speaks about the Anbiya, he speaks about Nuh alayhi salam, Hud alayhi salam, Salih alayhi salam, and other stories, Ibrahim alayhi salam, Shu'aib alayhi salam. Then he mentions the story of Yusuf alayhi salam. Surah Yusuf begins. Ibnillah, today we will just touch on Surah Yusuf. And we will go through the surah, look at you know, some of the things that occurred. Why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mention it as being the best of stories? Addressing Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he says, نحن نقص عليك أحسن القصص. This story, O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that we are giving you, we are narrating to you, we are revealing to you, is the best of stories. One who looks at Surah Yusuf as a whole would find that there is a message for almost everybody. You find that Allah speaks about going from hardship to ease. He speaks about a father who has some physical disability. He's lost his eyesight. And again, that's a message for everybody who has some sort of physical disability. Allah is the one who can cure you. He speaks about uh, Yusuf alayhi salam who had a ni'mah or who was favored, who had some sort of bounty and people were jealous of him. He speaks about how he chose Yusuf alayhi salam and after that, this selection or for him to get to the top, he had to go through difficulty. A Nabi, the son of a Nabi, the son of a Nabi, his father and grandfather were all Anbiya and for him to get to the top, he was sold as a slave. He was then put into prison. And bi-ithnillah, we will go through the story in a bit more detail. Shaykh, in the beginning, uh, when we look at the story at the beginning, we find Allah Jalla wa'ala begins by talking about Yusuf alayhi salam, Ya'qub alayhi salam, how he favored them. He then mentions the dream. Yusuf alayhi salam, as a young boy, he sees a dream. He tells his, and, and he tells his father the dream. He says, Ya buna, uh, uh, he says, Inni ra'aytu ahada ashara kawkaba. I've seen 11 stars, and the sun and the moon, I see them, you know, bowing or prostrating to me. His father, knowing how to interpret dreams, he tells his son, because he knows that this means that my son, will have a high status. He'll be a person who's given from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, given different bounties, and people will be jealous of him. So the first thing he tells his, his son, is that do not narrate this dream to your brothers. Shekhan, are you still with us? 
Okay, I think it was stuck a little bit. So when we look at the dream, we find, for me, what stands out is Allah, uh, Ya'qub alayhi salam tells Yusuf alayhi salam, لَا تَقْصُصْ رُؤْيَاكَ عَلَىٰ إِخْوَتِكَ فَيَكِيدُوا لَكَ كَيْدًا Don't tell this dream, not even to your brothers, because, you know, they might plot against you, they will plan against you. Why? Because shaitan is the one who comes between the brothers. For me, what I take from this, as mentioned by some of the mufassirin, is when you have a ni'mah, a bounty, don't go and show it and tell everybody that, you know what, I got this and I got this and I got this. Because there, will people, there are people who will plot against you. There are people who will try to bring about your downfall. So you've got to keep certain things to yourself, use them to the best of your ability and carry on. Yes, uh, that, that, that's so true. You know, we tend to go out and just tell people uh, everything that we're involved in and we want to literally, you know, uh, you know, place everything out there on social media, etc. I think what stands out for me is that this Nabi of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Ya'qub, he tells his son that don't tell the story to your brothers. So they may end up plotting and planning against you. So they'll plot and plan against you. So the fact that he knew his sons and he told his this, this son, to be careful and not tell his brothers, he was pre protecting him from the brothers. But at the same time, he told him that Indeed, shaitan is a clear adversary to mankind. So he's blaming shaitan for what's happening and what may happen. Like, look, if you go and tell your brothers, they'll plot and plan against you. He protects him, but at the same time, he doesn't want him to have enmity against his brothers. So he says, shaitan, you know, is the one who causes this type of discord and he blames it on shaitan. And I think in this, there's a lot of wisdom and hikmah because we can learn how to approach differences in a family or in uh, a closed circle of friends. When you have something, you have a situation that you want to attend to, make sure you don't blame certain people and make them seem to be so evil that, you know, people turn against them or it will cause a lot of, uh, you know, animosity and hatred and a fight will then ensue amongst them. Rather, try to diffuse the situation, but at the same time, protect those who are in danger. Uh, like how Yusuf والسلام, is being protected uh, from the danger of his brothers by his father. Yes, you know, as you mentioned that point, another point that came to mind is Yusuf السلام, is addressing his son who's still young. And sometimes when it comes to children, there's a way you've got to tell them. You don't have to tell them so much. You don't have to frighten them. You know, he told them, don't mention this to them. Why? Because shaitan, can, shaitan comes between the brothers and he is the one who plots. So I think there's also a way to tell the children certain things. And after that, you leave it. Shaykhana, moving on, unless you want to add anything. No, go on. Allah speaks about how the brothers then came, you know, they came together and they started planning. They wanted to, they felt that, you know what, Yusuf alayhi salam, yes, he's got, he's standing in our father's eyes. He's... Uh, He's a person or he's a boy who they saw he's better than them in so many things. So they started to plot against them. Eventually, they came to the conclusion that let's kill him off. 
or throw him into the well. What's interesting, some of the Mufassirin mentioned that what made this evil deed easy for them is after agreeing on this plot or plan, they then said, after we've finished with him, we'll become salihin, we'll start doing good deeds, we'll make tawbah, we'll come back, we'll try and get our father's love again. And this teaches us sometimes shaitan comes to us and he tells us to commit a sin. In order for us to commit the sin, he reminds us that, you know what, you'll end up doing tawbah later on. You'll end up doing tawbah later on. What happened to the brothers? After trying to get rid of Yusuf alayhi salam, they then had to lie. They then went through so much difficulty. So this teaches us that your sin only leads to more sin. Don't think that, you know what, I'll commit this sin and then do tawbah. Only if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wishes, he can save you. But remember, try and stay away from it in the first place. You don't know what ends up happening after that. That's so true. You know, adding on to that, there's a, there, there's a sheikh who I was listening to, and he says that, you know, don't plan to disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you happen to commit a sin, then seek istighfar for it. But don't plan and decide that, you know, on such and such a day, I'll uh, get together with friends and I'll do uh, this disobedience or engage in this disobedience or do it on my own. Whatever the case may be, don't plan to do it because uh, at least you have that much, you know, respect for the sanctity uh, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or his, the sanctity of his commands. So uh, Yusuf alayhi salatu wa salam, we find that the brothers were so jealous of him that it started with a thought. They said, Yet we are strong and we are uh, a, a, a group. Indeed, our father is in clear misguidance. So they felt that Yusuf was more beloved to their father. And it started with a thought. But that evil thought led them to the plot of murder. And they cut it off there and said, okay, this is wrong. You know, how, how do we even think like this? We can't allow ourselves to think like this. They wouldn't have gone on to plot and plan murder. Yet later on, they were saying, oh, to Yusuf, kill Yusuf. So it's very important for us when we think of something wrong or bad to uh, seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and immediately cut that thought right there. Don't go further with it. Don't follow up. Uh, because the minute you follow up with action, then there's more likelihood of you uh, executing that deed. And in this case, it started with just a thought of jealousy and it ended up with a plot of murder. So it shows you how far jealousy can go. Uh, be very careful. Don't think that it's something small. And this is why the hadith of Rasulullah says that it eats away at good deeds like fire eats away at the firewood. So be very careful. It can actually end up destroying all the rest of your good deeds. You know, a lot of the times, as you mentioned, that what's in the heart eventually becomes apparent and what's in the heart, the thoughts you have, translates into action later on. That's why when Allah says, on that day, the day of Qiyamah, everything that you hid in your heart, you try to keep it a secret, it will come out. Some of the scholars mention at that verse, the reason he used sarira, something secret, was because this secret thought, this secret, what was secret in your heart, is what translates into action. If it was good, even in you end up doing good deeds. 
And if what's in your heart is bad and evil and you're only thinking about, you know, plotting against this one and that one, it eventually comes out in actions. And as we saw, the brothers started to justify it. They started justifying it that, oh, Yusuf has a, a better position, a better status in our father's eyes than us. And we are strong and we are young. Also, they then uh, got to the point where they said that, and even if we do something wrong, we'll then make tawbah. So I think that's a very valid point and an extremely you know, important lesson we take from that. Moving on, Shaykhana, we find that the brothers try to get Yusuf alayhi salam. So they tell the father that, you know what, send him with us. You know, we'll play and we'll go and we'll eat. We'll do so many things. Eventually, whilst they are there, they take him and they throw him into the well. They then return to Yaqub alayhi salam with a story. They've got the shirt or the coat of Yusuf alayhi salam and they've put some blood on it. They give it to the father and they say that, you know what you are fearing? The wolf coming, it's actually come and it's eaten Yusuf alayhi salam. Yaqub alayhi salam immediately being a Nabi, also being somebody of intelligence, he's able to see that, you know what? This story doesn't make sense. It's not adding up. But he says, فَصَبْرٌ Jamil. One of the interpretations or one of the translations of sabrun Jamil means I'm being patient without complaining, without saying anything, without questioning the decree of Allah. So I think that's extremely important. Yes, uh, sometimes we find that people think that sabr requires you to just uh, bear patience and do nothing about it. Yet later on, we find that Yaqub sends his uh, children out to look for Yusuf and his brother. Uh, so it's important for us to also do something about it, but at the same time, uh, be happy with the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for us and bear patience on that uh, situation. Um, you know, what stood out here is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أَبَاهُمْ عِشَاءً After having thrown him into the well, they come to their father at night crying. They were crying at the time of Isha. So uh, at night they were crying and they were so emotional and they came to their father or they portrayed themselves to be emotional. Now, this teaches us that not everybody who comes to you crying or emotionally saying something actually means it. Sometimes they're trying to manipulate you. So this happens a lot of times in a relationship between uh, a girl and a boy or, you know, people who, who are supposed to love each other. Uh, they say, I love you, I love you. And at the end of the day, they want something from you. And they get that particular item and they leave, they're gone. So these people had an agenda. They wanted to prove to their father that we haven't done anything bad here. So they came crying and they came with false blood. So they went to all of this extent to manipulate their the emotional state of their father. So sometimes people will do this to us and we need to recognize when it's happening. Uh, you don't always have to respond in kind or, or, or make it blatantly clear to them that I know what you're doing here, uh, but you need to protect yourself and know that when people are manipulating you. You know, that's such a deep istimbat and extraction or a benefit that's been derived from that verse, emotional blackmail, where people try to manipulate your feelings. And, you know, they're not really sincere inside. Only Allah knows what's in the heart, obviously. But sometimes, or in fact, all the time, we've got to be careful when it comes to this uh, situation or these types of people. Moving on, Allah Jalla wa Ala is speaking about this Nabi, Yusuf alayhi salam, son of a Nabi, a son of a Nabi, his grandfather, also a Nabi. 
at the beginning he told us how he had selected and chosen Yusuf alayhi salam. After this selection, people might think that, oh, Allah said that, you know what, Yusuf alayhi salam was chosen. And then his story goes and everything goes well. Here we find that the brothers were jealous against him. They plotted against him. They threw him in the, in the well. Eventually he's in the well and he's taken as a slave. The people who are passing the caravan, who are passing, they're looking for water. They pick him out and they say, oh, he's a young boy. Let's take him with us. They take him and sell him as a slave. And he ends up in the house of the Aziz. In this house, we find, because Yusuf alayhi salam was a very good looking young man, the wife of the Aziz, you know, she was tried and tested with him, basically. She fell in love with him and she wanted to commit a sin with him. So we find again Yusuf alayhi salam going from difficulty to more difficulty, from hardship to even greater hardship. So the wife tells him, she tries to lock him up in a room and all the Everything that a person needs to commit sin is present. There's nobody there to see the doors are locked. A woman of wealth, a woman of, uh, you know, beauty. One of the scholars mentions at this verse, he said that how do you know that the, his wife was beautiful? It's not mentioned in the tafasir. But what's usually known is that people of high caliber, the Aziz, somebody in charge, they usually marry beautiful women. So Yusuf alayhi salam here, the sin is ready to be committed and he stays away. He knows that from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he's not allowed to do this. It's prohibited for him to do this. He knows that the Aziz has honored him by buying him as a slave and then putting him in the house so he can, you know, work and help, etc. So he doesn't want to disobey or, you know, reject this favor and do something wrong and stab him in the back. So Yusuf alayhi salam, he prevents himself from committing the sin. And Allah Jalla wa says that one of the reasons for this is he was from the mukhlasin. He was somebody who was sincere. He was somebody who, when things were in front and apparent, he first put what Allah wanted before what the people wanted. Yes, wallahi, that's so true. You know, uh, I was going to talk about that as well. You know, his loyalty and how he was loyal to his, uh, not only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his feelings, uh, you know, his relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but he was also loyal to the person who had been good to him. He knew that indeed he is my master who has perfected my stay here. Uh, so why should I then go against him by, you know, deceiving him behind his back? Uh, rather, I'll be uh, careful. And, you know, later on when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and they you know, ran towards the door. And she uh, tore his shirt from the back and they found the master in front of them, meaning her, her, her husband in front of them. Then she immediately says that, what is the recompense of the one what is the recompense of the one who wanted evil for your family, except that he will be imprisoned? Uh, or a painful torment. She knew that she was wrong. She knew that she had done something bad and evil. Yet she's saying that what is, it, what is the recompense of one who wants to do evil against you? And she tries to flip it against Yusuf alayhi salatu wasalam. People, when they are caught in a corner, will do anything. At times, someone will 
do anything to get out of that corner because here she is, it's embarrassing, she's been caught, she's in front of her husband, he's right there, and she turns the situation around him, around against him. But because of the sincerity of Yusuf alayhi salatu wasalam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, clears his name. And, you know, uh, there, there was some another point that I wanted to mention as well. Uh, perhaps you can mention yours uh, before I, you know, I, I this, do. I can't remember. This racing away from this fitna, from this we learn, I think, that not only here, not only when he was in the room, also later on the wife gathers all the other women to come and sit and she gives them some fruit and she makes Yusuf alayhi salam pass. And they eventually cut their hands instead of the fruit because he was, you know, so handsome. What's uh, important to mention is this fitna or this problem, this place of sin, where Yusuf alayhi salam was being called to commit a sin first, then he's being shown to the other women and they all being, you know, tried and tested with him. What does he do? Does he remain in that environment? In the first instance, he's, he's running out of the room. He's running away. He's not trying to negotiate with her, sit with her, talk with her and say, no, maybe this, because he knows. And as we take from the other lessons in the Quran, that anytime there's a fitna, don't think your iman is too strong or you too pious or you've got so many good deeds. No, shaitan comes to anybody. So he ran away from it. Same thing when things were occurring in the palace and she was calling all the women. Immediately he said, Qala Rabbi sijnu ahabbu ilay. Oh Allah, this, the prison is more beloved to me than what these people are talking, uh, talking or calling me to. So this shows us that sometimes we have a place where there is fitna and fasad. Don't think that you're too pious and you know you are the one who will be able to rectify everybody. So many times we try to save everybody else and we ourselves drown in the same water. You know, one scholar put it very amazingly. He said, sometimes somebody who's trying to call to goodness, they themselves are a, a bridge. They put themselves as a bridge over the fire. They let everybody pass, but then they themselves fall into it. Your job is not to save everybody else if you haven't saved yourself. If you haven't saved yourself, your job is not to save everybody else. And sometimes in trying to save everybody else, you should know your position, you should know your knowledge, you should know your standing. Maybe you yourself will fall into this fitna. That's why a lot of times people without knowledge in certain fields, especially when it comes to things like atheism and belief, they think that they'll just go and learn and read one, two books. They themselves end up doubting who's Allah after that. They themselves, because, you know, it wasn't their position. It wasn't their field. They didn't learn enough. And ultimately, it's that guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yusuf alayhi salam was sincere. That's so true, you know. And the last point that you mentioned about, uh, you know, people reading books of atheism, etc. I think that's important because uh, knowledge is not, we can't encompass all of knowledge. Nobody can encompass all of knowledge. So how are you going to then know all of the angles when you go to this book. If you have sufficient knowledge of the deen and you've really studied it well enough and you know your position in a strong manner, then maybe after years of studying, you can now start considering uh, studying the books in order to respond to the arguments. Uh, but, you know, this is very for very few people. This is not for anyone and everyone. So it's a very... Very, very important point that you mentioned there that, you know, fitna, we shouldn't think we're too, uh, we're too strong for a fitna or we can uh, fight it out, you know, to the extent that some people feel that they want to uh, see the Antichrist and the judge. But the scholars tell us that we, we should ask for, seek refuge uh, 
from the fitna of Dajjal. Nobody wants to see him. Why? Because you don't know which way you'll go, how strong your iman is. Uh, rather seek the refuge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, from such a situation. So I think that's, that's a very important point. You know, uh, going back to where they were racing to the door, we find that they were both moving in the same direction. So they were both moving towards the door, but their hearts were in different places. So one, one person is moving towards the anger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, yet Yusuf alayhi salatu wasalam is moving towards the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Same direction, but different outcome. Why? Because the intention was, was pure. Uh, I find that amazing. I find that I, that's just mind-blowing for me that they, they're moving in the same direction, but different outcome altogether, solely because their hearts were in different places. Allahu Akbar, such a powerful point. That's why some of the scholars also mention in Salah, you find two people standing together, shoulder to shoulder. But in reward, you find that the difference in reward is the distance between the heavens and the earth. One, he's not really concentrating, he's not really wanting to read Salah, and the other is full khushur, full concentration, performing his Salah the way he's supposed to perform it. So you mentioned a very powerful point. Not everybody going in the same direction is off the same level, and their hearts are not all the same. SubhanAllah. SubhanAllah, yeah. We find that Yusuf alayhi salam is then taken again. We, we said that the brothers plotted, thrown into the well, taken as a slave, and it's only getting worse. He's now being accused of doing something he didn't, and he's put into prison. Allah Jalla wa'ala speaks about this, his stay in prison, and how there were two people who came to him. And then they had dreams. So one of them started telling Yusuf alayhi salam the dream, and then the other tells him his dream. And a few interesting points in this prison, or a few interesting scenarios and instances that we can take, or we can look at what uh, that happened in this uh, prison. First is they tell Yusuf alayhi salam, inna naraka min al-muhsineen. We see you as being a person who is a muhsin, a good doer. Later on, when Yusuf alayhi salam is given, you know, status and rank after he's come out, his brothers tell him the same thing. They say that we see you as somebody who is a good doer. Look at how his surroundings didn't affect or change his personality, make him into a different person. Whilst he's in the prison, the people in the prison are telling him that you're a good person. That, you know what? We see you as somebody who is doing good, somebody who's a pious person. So don't be a person who, you know, at certain places or in certain situations, you are pious and then elsewhere you are not. Wow, that, that, that's amazing. That really is amazing because uh, usually our circumstance affects, affects us and that which is surrounding us. So if we're in, uh, in, in a difficult situation, we find ourselves behaving differently. Uh, yet this is amazing. Even in that situation, he took uh, the opportunity to, uh, you know, gain closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I think that's amazing. Yeah. Um, something that we can really ponder upon. You know, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that ثُمَّ بَدَالَهُ مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا رَأَهُ الْآيَاتِ حَتَّى Then it appeared to them after some time that after they saw the sign that they should imprison him up to a certain period or fixed time. So I find this amazing that this Aziz knew that his wife was wrong. But even though he knew that she was wrong, he wanted to uh, imprison Yusuf alayhi salatu wasalam. Why? 
to save face in community and in society. So sometimes what we'll do in order to save face, you know, our children have done something wrong. Instead of, you know, saying that, look, everybody does something wrong. We, we go to great lengths. Yes, sometimes you want to cover their honor. You want to protect them. Uh, you want to make sure that people don't find out what they have done. That's fine. That's normal. Uh, but when you go to great lengths and start oppressing others and, uh, you know, uh, in order to protect them, then that becomes wrong. At that point, you're committing an injustice. Here, Yusuf والسلام, is being imprisoned for the crime of another person. That, that's completely wrong. I mean, just to save the face of the Aziz and the woman uh, that, that had done this, uh, they're imprisoning him. So I, I think it's important for us to make sure that even if, and this happens a lot in the context of children, where they've done something wrong, we start blaming their friends or someone close to them. Hey, you know, it must be this person or they've done this or they've done that. No, hold on. It may have been my child. Maybe they, they made a, a, a genuine mistake. Let's address the issue and move forward from there. You know, you mentioned such a valid point and such an important point that, yes, it's important to cover, you know, your family and people's wrongdoings, wherever it may be, but not at the expense of others, not oppressing somebody else who hasn't even done anything. Again, moving on, we find that in this prison, Yusuf alayhi salam, being a Nabi of Allah, being somebody who is a good doer, he takes the opportunity to call these two prisoners to Allah. He's carrying out his da'wah. I think what stands out for me is the way, the method in which he carried out his da'wah. Remember, people of different levels of intellect, people, there are those who are closer to the deen, there are those who are further away from the deen. There are those who are, in, who are Muslims, but maybe not as practicing as others. You have to choose your words carefully. You have to take the opportunity where it arises. You have to know where to slip in the right words. Here, this, uh, these two people, they've asked for an interpretation of a dream. What does Yusuf salam say? First, he says, no problem. Don't worry, your food won't come to you. Before, in fact, before it comes, I would have told you the interpretation of the dream. He then gets into what he wants slowly. He says that this interpretation, My Lord, the one who created me is the one who taught me this. So he didn't say, okay, so now you must believe. No, no, slowly, slowly. He's getting, he's getting to his point. You know, he's pricking the conscience. And they're in a state because they're all in prison. There's, there's uh, you know, nothing of the dunya to distract them. So he, he's got them where he needs them to be, basically. So he starts slowly. Calculated. You know, this interpretation I'm going to give you is not from me. It's from the Creator. Then he starts telling them, Inni Basically, I've left the people who, or the way of the people who didn't believe in Allah, and I followed the way of my father and my forefathers, you know, Yaqub and Ishaq and Ibrahim alayhi salam. He then says, he calls them to a logical, you know, start using your intellect, logical debate. What you're worshipping is actually just names that, you know, you've given to certain things, you and your forefathers. You've just given them these names. Right? He then starts mentioning the sifat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not mentioned later on whether they believed or they didn't. So quite a few lessons we take from this. He's used the correct strategy. These are prisoners. 
He's used a way which is suitable for them to understand. He's not forcing them to say, you know what, you must believe, you must do this. No, he's got his way of doing it. And he's a Nabi. He's taught or he's helped by wahi and revelation of Allah Jalla wa'ala. And I think this is a, an extremely important lesson for any da'iyah to take. Yes, you do da'wah anywhere and everywhere, but there's a way of doing it. There's words you use. You know when to say certain things and when not to say certain things. Yes, wallahi, that's so true. Uh, I was going to talk about uh, the, the same point, actually, but uh, from a different angle. Mashallah, you've, uh, or this, a similar angle, you've expounded on it much, much further than uh, I was going to go. Uh, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that, uh, that, you know, the food will not come to you that will be sustaining you, except, Except that I would have given you the interpretation of your dreams. So he used the circumstance and situation to say that, look, I'm not going to delay you too much. I'm not, go I'm not going to take too much of your time. It's, it's going to come. Before your food comes, you'll have the interpretation of the dream. So as much as he put the da'wah forward and he used the opportunity, he didn't delay them too much to the point where they'd become tired and they wouldn't listen or they wouldn't uh, want to pay attention to what he was saying. Rather, he just uh, told them that, look, give me a few moments of your time to listen to what I have to say, and then you can attend to the rest. Whatever you want to do, you can do. You want to eat, you can eat. Your food will be there. Uh, don't worry about it. So he used the situation and circumstance in the right way. And after that, we find that he sticks to his word and he gives them the interpretation of their dreams. Basically, one of them will be killed or crucified. The other will be free and he will get back into the palace or he will go to the palace and he will be a person who gives drink to the king. Eventually, this king has a dream. He sees a dream and this is after a long time. Yusuf salam, telling this person who will be saved, he said, you know what, when you go out, remind the king that, you know, I'm still here for, you know, for nothing. I've been my matter and it hasn't been looked i'm just sitting in the prison so remind him mention me basically so this king eventually has a dream and this person who was told to remember yusuf salam forgot about him completely living in the palace you know doing whatever he wanted to do eventually when the when the dream comes and nobody can, can interpret it he remembers that there was somebody in the prison who interpreted my dream and it came true so let me go with this dream and give it to yusuf salam. so he goes to the prison and tells yusuf but you know what, Yusuf, aftina, give us a fatwa, basically. Give us the interpretation of this dream. He then tells him the dream. What does Yusuf salam do? Yusuf salam, having uh, been, you know, he's been sitting in prison for nothing for a very long time. The guy himself forgot the goodness that Yusuf salam told him. And he doesn't sit and say, you know what, you're the same guy who forgot me. Or you didn't do this, or you didn't say that. No, he knew a few things. Number one, that this dream was important to interpret because it wasn't only to do with one person. This was a dream that was giving an indication of something that would come that would affect the whole community. So he put everybody else's interests before his own. So he gives him the interpretation of the dream immediately without asking for money, without you know reprimanding him. And he gives him this interpretation. Yes, and you know, as a result, we find that later on the king actually says, bring him, you know. So the result of his sincerity and goodness and straightforwardness he passed on, 
even though he passed that information on, he could have leveraged it to say, no, go and tell them that remove me from the prison and then I'll give you the information. So he gave the information and as a result, he knew that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will uh, remove him from his situation. So uh, the king himself requested that, hey, come, come to the, you know, come bring him to me. Uh, so the king wanted, summoned him rather than Yusuf alayhi salatu wasalam begging or asking for his freedom. It was given to him on a plate of honor. Uh, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewards uh, such sincerity and goodness uh, when we're uh, selfless and uh, put, like you, like you rightfully mentioned, put others uh, before ourselves. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala re- rewards uh, such, uh, you know, uh, selflessness. You know, he then mentions when interpreting the dream, he says, Basically giving them the plan, how they're going to do it. You know, sometimes when you go to a person of the religion, etc., you ask them something about the dunya. And yes, the part of the answer is get close to Allah, you read your salah, give your zakah, give charity, do good deeds. But a lot of the times we lack this experience and the skills required to manage our lives in the dunya. Yusuf didn't just tell them that, you know what, now you must just read Salah for seven years, or you must, you know, make Dua for seven years. Yes, be good all the time. But he's then giving them the practical solution. So you need to grow for so many years because there's going to be a drought that's coming for so many years. So what you've saved, you're going to eat. There's so much that just in these few verses we can take from. I think a point I want to mention is that as Muslims, our religion is complete. Every aspect that we need in our lives, whether in terms of deen, the religion, or dunya, your worldly life, there is some sort of guidance that was given to us, whether it's marriage, buying and selling, uh, judging between people. There's always been guidance and rules set out. Yes, specific things, new things that come out, we go back to these rules and derive a ruling. So many times we're guilty of not knowing how you know the system works, Look at the Anbiya alayhi salatu wassalam. Yusuf alayhi salam, yes, he's got wahi. Allah jalla wa'ala gives him, inspires him, gives him this uh, revelation. At the same time, he knows how to plan. He knows how to balance the whole, uh, you know, all the resources in this city or this country. He knows how to advise the people, delegate to the people, tell them do this, do this. Even the other Anbiya, Ibrahim alayhi salam, yes, we know he built the Kaaba. But that also means whether Allah taught him or he knew from before, yes, ultimately Allah taught him. But he knew how to build. He knew how to build. He had the skill in life. Nuh alayhi salam. He knew how to make the, the ark. He knew how to do, he knew how to make certain things. Dawood alayhi salam when it came to the steel. So many times when we uh, become religious, so to speak, or we try to get closer to the deen, we forget that also knowing the dunya with the correct intention becomes a good deed and it's extremely important. And that's one of the reasons why we find that ourselves, we have a lot of talk. We want to tell the people, you know, come to salah and come to zakah. The people then ask us that, okay, in my day-to-day dealings, I've got, in my business, I've got this and I'm dealing with the bank like this. And I've got so many different contracts in my marriage. What happens? And we find that we don't have answers. And sometimes because we don't know, there's nothing wrong in not knowing. But because we don't know, we say that, no, you're not supposed to concentrate on that. The guy is asking a question. He has a right to know. So it's up to us, not only as uh, you know, people speaking about the deed, 
but also Muslims to be dynamic, to know what's going on in your religion as well as in your surroundings around you. And that's the whole fruit of knowledge. The fruit of knowledge is not only to know, uh, to know, you know, Allah Jalla wa Ala said this and Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said this. Yes, that's part of it. How do you apply it in your life? How do you help the people to understand this in the day-to-day -day circumstances that they go through? So this is extremely, extremely important. Another point when it comes to this planning, how he told the people that, you know what, you need to plan for so long. Later on, Allah Jalla wa Ala says, Yusuf alayhi salam himself, he tells the king or the one in charge, make me the one who's in charge of all these resources. That can only mean he knew how to handle them. He was strong and he was honest and he had this knowledge when it came to managing these things. That's extremely, extremely, extremely important for us to know. We should know it's important for us to know about the economy that we live in. How does it affect us? When do we save? When we don't save? When do we spend? And I think that uh, could be a, a topic for another day, Bismillah. Bismillah. But you know, you mentioned so many valid points, and I think it's very, very important that we know our deen because part of the deen is to know all of this. And uh, we, we tend to think of it as something beyond the deen, that, okay, the, the deen is in the masjid and it's in the, on the musalla. Like you 100% hit the, the nail on the head that we give people solutions as perform your salah, you know, go to, yes, that is a solution, 100%. But at the same time, this guy needs a solution, a practical solution in his life, which is also part of the deen. It doesn't mean that that is not uh, part of the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Rather, we find Rasulullah gave the companions different strategies when they were at war or uh, in, in different facets of their lives. He gave them different solutions and strategies uh, to approach different situations. So uh, even um, there, there was an, uh, a point that I wanted to mention with regards to a situation that happened. Yes, uh, when it came to the farming and they, they had problems with the crop, etc. They came to Rasulullah he offered them a solution. Uh, it doesn't mean that, you know, you, you've got to always say, uh, perform your salah, only perform salah and ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, yes, do that. But in addition to that, there is a practical solution that you should take. So I, I think that's a very, very, very uh, solid uh, point there, mashallah. Yes, we're not saying do something haram. You know, it's mentioned that when the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam came to Medina, he found that the people were taking the palm trees. Now, for those who know that dates, you've got basically, we could say the male tree and the female tree. Then it, dates are one of the only trees that the trees need to be fertilized manually. So the pollen doesn't move from plant to plant or tree to tree. You have to take it and put it manually and put this male and female together. After that, it gives dates that you can actually eat. So when the Messenger وسلم, came to Medina and he saw them doing this, first thing he told them was, what are you doing? And they said, we're doing this, this, this. He then said that, no, I think that this won't really help. So leave it. And they left it. That same year, there was no harvest. The dates didn't come. So he asked about the dates. And they said that, you know what? You told us not to do this. So there's no dates. He then mentions that in certain matters of your dunya, of your worldly things, you are more knowledgeable in these things. So basically, after that, he's trying to tell him that, What's not haram and what you need to do, something mubah and permissible, do it in terms of your dunya. Look at how the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, you know, he was, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, obviously the best of creation. He was humble enough to tell them that, you know what, when it comes to this, 
okay, maybe what I told you at the beginning wasn't really the right way of doing it. So do it the way you know how to do it so we get food. You know, not every uh, sheikh or every knowledgeable person knows everything that's going on in the dunya. In fact, everyone who even works in the dunya or works with things in this worldly life, they don't know every single thing. Sometimes they'll give you advice and it's a mistake. But where we are wrong at times is where we give the wrong advice and then we try to stick to this wrong advice. Yes, wallahi, so true. I mean, if that was Rasulullah telling them that uh, in certain matters of these uh, the dunya, you know better, you know, do what you know, uh, then what of us? Why, why do we have to know everything and feel like we have to give an answer to everything? Rather refer people to the professionals of their fields. Uh, at times, uh, you find a person like a doctor, uh, for example, in the situation that we're in, they know the uh, current circumstance and situation and they're giving you the right advice. Don't, don't go to a sheikh to get advice in that situation. Get advice from the people that know uh, and, and the people that have an idea. So it's it's a very, very, very important uh, point. That, uh, Especially if something is halal and permissible completely. Yes, if you're asking for halal and haram, then you go to a person who you see as a scholar and you ask them, but how to do this? Yes. Should we put our advert like this or like this? That you, you know better. It's good to ask people their opinions. Ultimately, you have the final decision. Another point I want to touch on very quickly, we've gone a bit over time, but Yusuf alayhi salam, again, we're speaking about resources, we're speaking about wealth, we're speaking about, you know, being in charge. A lot of times we associate wealth as being something evil. This wealth is a means. It's a means to do good and a means to do bad. It's a means to attain the pleasure of Allah or a means of, you know, attaining his displeasure. When we look at a lot of ibadat, our zakah, our sadaqah, the hajj we have to go to, all these require wealth, a waqf. The books of fiqh, as we mentioned countless times and hadith, there's a big portion of it speaking about money. Money matters are extremely important, I feel, for Muslims to know. You know, it's, you can be as religious as you want. At the end of the day, if you study the seerah, you will find the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he was the most knowledgeable when it came to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, at the same time, he had certain skills to manage the country he was in. Later on, Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, Umar radiallahu anhum jami'an, we find that they knew when it came to the treasures that they got, whether it was from war, whether it was the dealing Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam had with the Jews in Khaybar, they knew how to take this wealth. They knew how to get more wealth so they could give it to the people. This, you know, management of wealth as Muslims is an extremely important topic for us to learn about. A lot of our worldly life revolves around it. Remember the food on your table, Allah, is because you've gone and you've done some work and you've earned some wealth and you're able to buy it. If you want to do a good deed, you want to build a masjid, you need that wealth. You want to, you know, gather people's zakah and sadaqah and give it to people. You need to know how to manage that wealth. So I think it's an extremely important topic that we need to carry on discussing because we always talk about how we were once great. We talk about how knowledge is extremely important. Our ibadat, yes, that's extremely important and it's only part of the deen. There's another part of the deen where we have to live as people. We have to live in a community. We have to try and help our community develop and go forward in life. And this requires us to learn certain skills in this dunya, to know about wealth, to know the skills we have today, how to use the internet, how to use you know, certain tools at our disposal. So I think that's extremely, extremely, extremely important. 
Yes, and, and I agree with you 100% that, you know, having wealth, you shouldn't be apologetic for it. Uh, you shouldn't feel bad about having it. In fact, uh, it's a ni'mah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you should thank him for. And if you're using it in the right way and manner, then you're likening yourself to the people that had wealth from amongst the Sahaba, Abu Bakr, As-Siddiq radiyallahu anhu, Uthman, Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiyallahu anhu. They all, all had wealth. None of them were lambasted by the Prophet ﷺ for that wealth itself. But they, they, they used it in the right way and in the right manner. So uh, definitely so one shouldn't feel, feel guilty or uh, bad about the wealth that they have. Rather, they should thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and use it in, its, uh, in, in the right uh, way and manner. And uh, that's, uh, I believe, what you were talking about, which is how to mobilize these resources, use them and uh, make use of them and understand them as well. Shaykhana, the last point I'd like to mention the story of Yusuf alayhi salam before we carry on with it tomorrow in the next juz. The, the king then says, Bring him to me so I can make him, you know, one of my personal people. I'll make him for myself alone. What does Yusuf alayhi salam do? Does he jump at the fact that there's a king calling him, there's someone of position calling him? No, he remains steadfast and firm on his principles. He, he knew that he got in unjustly into the prison. And he didn't want people to feel that, you know what, because of a favor, because of this, he's coming out and he's still guilty. He remains, you know, steadfast on his principles, what he believes. And from a place of honor, a place of izzah, Allah Jalla wa'ala grants him the ability, you know, to demand that his case be looked into and his name be freed from any wrongdoing before he comes out. And I think what we take from this is we've got to remain firm to the certain principles and certain beliefs we have. You know, not everybody of position or wealth, if they call us to do something and it's against a principle, it's something completely wrong. We don't have to obey them. You know what? Hold your ground. Allah Jalla wa'ala will grant you that thabat, that conviction, the ability to stay steadfast and he will provide for you at the end of the day. Yes, wallahi, uh, solid point. I, I don't really have much to add to that. Uh, yeah. Inshallah, tomorrow we'll go over again the, the second half of the story of Yusuf alayhi salam. The first half we saw how from difficulty to difficulty to difficulty, now we see him slowly coming out of the prison. Inshallah, tomorrow we will mention more when it comes to the story. Shaykhana, anything else you'd like to add? Any final words? Inshallah, no, uh, I'm, I'm fine, alhamdulillah. I think we've had a pretty long session. Yeah, I'm only seeing the time now. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Oh, but it's, it's, it's a story that gives, you know, it just keeps giving again and again. So it's something that's expected, actually. Alhamdulillah, the best of stories. Sheikh and inshallah, we see you tomorrow. Barakallahu feekum. Inshallah. Jazakallah khair. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.